0: We're in Romans chapter 5. We're beginning the second part of this chapter at verse 12. Verse 12 through 21. I titled the message today, The Universal Impact of Adam and Jesus, because in this message we will see a contrast between Adam and Jesus. Now, we probably won't get through all the verses today. In fact, I know we won't. We'll probably get through verse 12 as sort of an introduction to where we're headed with the Apostle Paul. It's so vast and it's so deep. We just really need to take our time through it. I know that I do anyway. But when we were together last, we focused with the Apostle Paul a lot on God's love. Paul took us through God's love. It was the love that produced salvation. And God's love, we learn, is eternal and unending, and it always has been the case with the Lord. And our salvation, we've learned, is entirely of God and His love. And understanding that is very critical in the Christian walk, because there are those who view God of the Old Testament as a God of wrath only. They don't look at Him as a God of love at all. They then view Jesus in the wrong view, as God's appeaser only, not the satisfier of a requirement, not looking at Him as God. And this leaves us a perception that there is some type of conflict between God and Jesus, and that's just not the case. The conflict is between Adam and Jesus, the first Adam and the second Adam, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Some view God and Jesus as some type of opposing forces coming to work together for a common goal. And that's just not the case. Because with God, there is a righteous judge and a loving father in the same heavenly father. And it was God that so loved the world that he gave his son. So the true contrast, the real opposing characters, are again between the first Adam and the second Adam between Adam and Jesus Christ. And so we see the universal impact of Adam and Jesus. So it was God's love that produced this salvation, and we have seen the effects of it, and we've looked at those thoroughly. Now, this portion of Scripture here has been called the most difficult to understand in all of the book of Romans, and some say in all of the Bible. And as we read this chapter through 12 through 21, you'll probably agree with that. Now some of the greatest theologians have had difficulty expounding on these verses here. What we're going to do is discuss the contrast here between Adam and Jesus and how sin entered the world through one man and then salvation came through one man. So the Apostle Paul has brought in some patriarchs of the faith already. All throughout in this letter, we've seen Abraham. We've seen David. We've seen Moses. And now Paul's going all the way back to the beginning to talk about Adam. Adam and original sin. Now, Paul has already addressed original sin back in chapter 1, yet he never mentions Adam. He just talks about the beginning of time. Remember with me back in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it says this, in talking about the wrath of God, he writes this, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So that's pretty much how far back he went. He doesn't talk about sin revealed in the lives of people from the beginning, or he does, in other words. He, But he never mentions how it entered into the human race. So he does talk about sin revealed, but not how it entered. And here, that's what he does. So when you look up Adam and Eve, and you try to define it from... A secular point of view in an encyclopedia or even on wikipedia you may discover that they call it a creation myth it's called a creation myth to the world the world calls them stories or religious traditions but it's no myth or story this truth of adam and eve and original sin there's proof in creation that it's among us and what's the proof that it's true and that it's real what is that truth what proves it what proves it is the reign of death death it reigns over everything that's what proves that this is historical truth because god said if you do this if you eat of this tree you will die and that instantly happened when adam and eve ate of the tree when they weren't supposed to so that's how we know that creation is real. See, if we as humans think about this now, we're constantly evolving and adapt and adapting, our lives would not come to an end. They would be extending and extending and extending for eternity, correct? They would continue to go and go and go. But see, they do come to an end. It's not evolution, it's devolution, not going forward productively, but getting worse progressively. We would have people living thousands of years here on earth up into eternity. They would be working their way that way rather than getting worse. But does that happen? It doesn't happen. See, the proof that creation is real and that sin is real is that there's what? There's death in the world. That's the proof. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Not sins plural, but sin, the original sin. And that original sin was brought into the world by one man, Adam. This is where the Apostle Paul begins in these first uh, verses here, in these next few verses. Now Adam, Adam has been called the federal head of all of those in the old nature. Those who haven't been born again. It's been said that Adam represents us as humans in a twofold way. One, federally, just as we just shared and explained. And two, seminally, that we are his actual seed. And when he sinned, we sinned. It's genetic. He represents us, and literally, we were contained within him when he sinned, genetically. That's what the Bible is saying and proving. Adam was originally made. In the image of God, therefore when He fell, we fell. We are in Him. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, it says this, Then God said, and here's the Trinity at work, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So when Adam sins and falls, he falls from God's image, and we see the results. Remember with me, Adam begins to have a family and have children, correct? And the Bible takes us through all of that. And it says this in Genesis 5-3, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. So at one point man was created in the image and likeness of God, but now since Adam sinned, man is now under the image and likeness of man. Sin entered. So yes, we are made in the image of God, Bible tells us that, in spirit, in spirit. But now in man, because of sin. This is going to be difficult to follow, I understand. We're going to do our best to work our way through it. You might leave here more confused than when you came in. I did. <laughs> I probably will. But look, we are in the image of God in spirit. But after Adam's sin, we are in man's likeness in terms of what? Sin and death. Physically, we have a way to be alive spiritually in Christ. Now, someone here may ask the question, how is that fair when I wasn't even there? I would have made a different choice. How is that fair? How can I be held accountable when I did nothing wrong? Someone might say, if I was there, again, I wouldn't have done that. Well, those are questions that maybe we can't answer today. Maybe we'll never be able to answer. But I like the book of Habakkuk because he he couldn't understand why God would not purify His people in that book he couldn't understand why god would not bring revival he couldn't understand why god wouldn't come and bless them and then he couldn't understand god says he's going to do something for them instead of doing all that he's going to destroy them see all these things that prophet was thinking he couldn't understand why god wouldn't bless them why he's coming to to destroy them so habakkuk cannot understand anything that god is doing He couldn't figure out why God is doing anything at all. So finally, he backs off, and he just comes to God, and he says, God, you're fair, you're just, you do no wrong, you don't make mistakes, you're in charge. And if nothing goes right, Lord, this is in chapter 3, he's saying all this, I'll rejoice in you and rejoice in the God of my salvation. I can't understand all of these concepts, God. But you know what? You're fair, you're just. You're in charge. In other words, what he is saying is this. When you can't understand the things in your own human mind, you back off of the quicksand of your own understanding and get on the rock of the character of God and hold on to His truths. Why? Because we know God is just and God is wise and God is loving and He has a purpose for all of this. And we comfort ourselves in God's character when we do not understand. We have to do that. So now, do you remember the Ten Commandments to Moses? Do you know that that was not the first law ever given? It wasn't the first law ever given. The first law given was to Adam and Eve, back in Genesis chapter 2. God told them, very simply, that if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. That's a command. See, remember, this is man in perfection on earth who inevitably sinned. Then came the lie of the devil in the form of what? A serpent. You remember that? Genesis 3-4, he comes to them and he says, hey, you're not going to die. God just knows that you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want that. So go ahead and eat. But see, we know that Adam and Eve did die. Not only spiritually, but eventually physically. As soon as they ate, It was all over. They became aware of everything. The plan for them was to live forever when they were created. But that changed. Something new is introduced. He tells them that from dust you came and dust you will return. Through the disobedient act of Adam, all mankind was impacted. And this is what the apostle Paul is pointing to here in these verses. Now, why is Paul pointing all of this out here? Because he's anticipating questions again. He is what's been called a master at audience analysis. He understands who he's talking to. He's anticipating questions and what they are thinking. We've seen him do this throughout the book of the Roman church. It's like when I'm up here, I'm trying to anticipate certain questions because I can see expressions on people's faces. I know when they're understanding it. I know sometimes when they're not getting it, and I have to change what I just said, and... That's how I read. He's reading these things. Now, what questions might they be asking? They might be asking, well, how is this all fair? How can one man's disobedience do all this damage? And in contrast, how can one man's obedience make it all better? How can God How can God send Jesus to die on the cross for me and all I have to do is receive him? Don't I have to do something? Isn't there something I must do to earn salvation? You see where he's going with this argument? Brilliant. This guy is brilliant. Listen, it is easy for us to understand that we are no good and unworthy, isn't it? It's so easy to look at our lives and think, man, I I don't add up. Why would he ever do that for me? We sin and all of our faults all the time are ever before us, like the psalmist said. They're ever before me. They're hard to forget. So it's difficult to see that someone like Christ would take it all away when we're unworthy. Oh man, this is his point. This is what he's going to get to. And he's showing a contrast here and he does it amazingly. And so what's the point in this contrast? That you did not ask for the sinful nature, but you have it. You had no choice. You're born into it. You also did not ask for salvation, but you can have it. And that is a choice. You have that choice. You did not do anything to receive this fallen nature. It was given to you and to me. But you do not have to do anything to earn salvation. Just receive it because it's been done for you. See, this is where he's headed. So Paul now draws an analogy between Adam and Christ. And I want to give that to you up front so that when we go through all these verses, you can kind of see where he's going with all of this. So he's drawing all this analogy, and he positions Adam and Christ as God positions them. You see, God is concerned with only two men, Adam and Christ. Why? Because they both represent the human race in one way or another. Why? You're either in Adam, condemned, Or you're in Christ, spared, saved. You're either cursed or you're spared. There's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. Again, this is arguably the most complex portion of Scripture. The simple part is this, that you have Adam on one side representing all mankind, but he's relatable to us. Why? Because he's human. But then on the other side, you have Christ rep- representing all of mankind, but He is fully man and also fully God. So when we get into these details of the impacts of each, that's when it becomes difficult in these verses. Now there are some things we will understand again and many that we won't. The fact of the matter is is that here on this earth, we are limited in our understanding and comprehension. We just are. That's the way of it. We do our best through prayer and study to understand things clearly. Yet we have to remember that there will be times when we cannot understand. And when we don't, there's one scripture that helps it all. Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And sometimes as Christians, that's all we have to say. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So in Adam... We understand for the most part what it is like to be in Him, cursed. We see ourselves very clearly. All in chapter 1, if you go back in Romans chapter 1, you can see your life right before you without Christ. The complications in these passages begin because of the magnitude of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. We just can't wrap our heads around what He has done for us the magnitude of God's love for us, that one man would do something for us that requires us to do nothing to earn it. These are the points here. So the idea here is of one man as the federal head of the human race, and in the analogy here, we have a contrast again between two men, but it's a vast contrast. There is a comparison of the universal impacts of their lives, that they had upon humanity and still do. And then Paul sums it all up in the grace of God and in Jesus Christ. So now let's get into these verses here. We're going to read verses 12 through 21, where it says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore... As though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you get all that? Yeah. So we attempted already to warm our minds up to this subject and make it more palatable for us. That's why we went through all of what we've already gone through. And that concept begins here in verse 12. And what we want to focus on is these words, through One man, just for a moment. You see, in the previous verses, we see Paul talking about our reconciliation through Christ. Now, Paul breaks off into a discussion about Adam and his sin, and then brings Christ back into the picture. And so, again, we just want to, for a few moments, look at this phrase, through one man, because if we understand this, we will understand why there is the need for salvation for all men that is the point that's the point he's trying to make if we can get you to see what happened with one man adam we can get you to see the need for christ and we can use this as a tool for witnessing when we're out there discussing with people why we need christ we can use this as a tool see in verse 12 is is really explaining the impacts adam had on the entire human race. It tells us, what does it tell us? It tells us this, how sin entered the world and the results of sin entering into the world. Those two things, how sin entered the world and the results of sin entering into the world. So sin entered the world. Notice that it says sin entered the world. And what does that imply? It implies that sin was already here. It was already established. It just entered now. That's what we want to look at through one man. See, sin entered through Adam yet it didn't originate with Adam, did it? Where did it originate? It originated with Satan. It was in the rebellion and fall of Satan. You see, remember, if or if you remember, Satan was one of God's highest ranked angels. He's up there with Michael and Gabriel, these archangels, he's of that caliber. He has a preeminent place, or he did, over the holy angels. And now Satan, he was not content with that. He wanted more. And then we have the five-fold I wills of Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, it tells us this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Those are the words of Satan. Satan led a rebellion with a third of the angels. And what was that original sin? It was pride. It was due to pride. He wanted to be equal with God. And that's impossible for any created creature to achieve. This is where hell comes in. Did you know hell was not made for you and I? It was not made for humans. That's not what hell was made for. It's not ever made for mankind. Hell was created for Satan and the fallen angels that joined the rebellion. Now, this is good for us to know, so that when people ask us why would God create a hell and send us there, we'll be able to tell them the truth of it. And what is that? Matthew 25, 41. It tells us who hell was created for. Then He, God, will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who it was prepared for. You see, God in all of His wisdom and sovereign planning has no way back for them. That's it for them. They're done. They've got no other choice. In that one act of disobedience, Adam, remember, enter, sin entered through Adam because he believed The law of Satan. Satan and his angels. There's no salvation. There's only a fixed reality of eternal hell. And so when sin entered through Adam, because he believed that lie of Satan, in that one act of disobedience, he joined in that rebellion of Satan. Are you following? And the punishment for joining that rebellion is eternity in hell without Christ. And through Adam, sin entered into the stream of the human race. It entered that stream. It poisoned the whole stream that we all drink out of because that's the only stream to drink out of. If anyone's sins are unforgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, they will join Satan and his angels in hell because they've joined the rebellion. You want to know what it will be like in hell? Revelation provides us with that picture. Just one picture. Revelation 20.10, the devil... Who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever and ever. Satan is going to have more punishment because of all the deceit, all the lies. So sin, sin originated with Satan but entered into the human race through one man. Now, what is the result of that sin entering into the world through this one man? The result is death. Thus, death spread to all men. That's what it says here in verse 12. Both spiritually and physically. The immediate result of Adam's sin was spiritual death. Remember, back in the story, there was immediate separation from God. Where are you guys? And they were hiding separated God said that the moment that they ate from the tree they would die so he did die spiritually but death then entered into the human race and spread again into this river of all mankind therefore we are born severed from god in sin then you have this physical death so it is a really a twofold death for all human beings We're born spiritually dead and already dying because that's the end result if you carry it out. As soon as I'm born, as soon as a baby's born, the end is death. That's just the fact of life. That is part of the curse. Everyone and everything dies. That's what God said would, would happen. See, again, this is proof that man is sinful. This is the proof that there is sin because there's death. So through Adam... As our federal head, his one act impacted us all. So what do I mean by that, federal head? Well, look at it this way, as an example. When the president of a country signs a bill into law, he's acting on behalf of all the citizens of that country, yes? That's what's happening. Now, we as citizens may not like it. We may not want to follow it. Nevertheless, it's a law, whether we believe it's a law or not. It is a law, and it's put into effect. And if we're caught breaking that law, there is punishment. So here some might say that it was Eve that sinned, not Adam. It was the woman that you gave me. That's what we all say as men. It's the woman that you gave me, Lord. But that's true in a sense. But remember, he was created first, and he was given this headship. So his sin is a representative act of over all of his posterity, and everybody else in him is in sin as well. In other words, Adam, in God's view, is seen as acting for all of his descendants, of which we all are. Whether you believe that or not, that's the case. That's what happened, just like the law that's signed into, into law. Now, why go through all this? Why Is this all important to understand? I don't know. I'm just talking. But there are those who will tell you that you're good. You're inherently good. You're a good person until you go bad. You're born good. That you're not born a sinner, but that you make the choice to sin and then you become a sinner. But that's heresy. That is not true. Because if you believe that, if you begin that way, it leads you to believe you don't need a Savior. You don't need help. Because you can begin to do it on your own. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that there are none righteous. That's what it tells us. We sin. Why? Because we're born sinners. That's why we sin. It's not an excuse, but that's the reason. And what is the proof that we're all affected by Adam? Adam. How do we know we're all in this original sin? The proof is all over the Bible. And again, it tells us that everybody dies. I mean, are we getting better and living longer even through eternity? No, we're not. The moment we were born, we begin our journey towards death. Isn't that exciting? That's the journey. And we're either in Adam or we're in Christ at the end of it all. We're either judged or we're spared. This is the contrast he's pointing out to us. Now, where is the proof that we're all connected to Adam? Because not everybody's going to believe, oh, we're, we're not all genetically connected to him. How can we be? There's no possible way. This isn't myth. This isn't made-up stories. The proof is here. Genesis, all the way back in Genesis 5.5. 5. Listen, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and what? And he died. Genesis 5.8, so all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Genesis 5.11, so all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. How would you like to live 900 years? I don't know about that. Genesis 5.14, so all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and what? He died, and on and on and on and on, even to us today. That's the proof. All of Adam's offspring, which we all are, die. This is how we know we're connected to Adam and original sin. That's the proof. So sin originated with Satan. Mankind joined in this rebellion through Adam. Sin spread to all mankind for all time. And we know that we are all under the curse because death comes to us all. This is what he's beginning to explain here. Man is condemned on three grounds. He has a sinful nature. Adam's sin is imputed to him, and he is a sinner by practice. That's all of us. We we have a sinful nature. Adam gave it to us, and we practice it. That's all of it. Yet, all of this And God made a way through Jesus Christ, who is our federal head of salvation. And this, think about it, is the crowning guilt of all men. That what? That knowing that there is a way, but not taking it. Knowing there's provision made to escape eternity into hell that was never made for us, knowing this and still rejecting it, That's the ultimate sin that will not be forgiven. See, the Lord sees us in either Adam or in His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. That's how He sees us. And we have the opportunity, if we haven't done so already, to receive Him as our Savior. John 3.18 says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. Oh, that's good news. But he who does not believe is condemned already. You see that? We're condemned already. Why? Because we're born into it. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John three thirty six. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You're already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you have to ask yourself, who are you in today? Who are you in today? Adam, who is the federal head of sin, or Christ who takes away the sins of the world? Who are you in? If any of us are having any difficulty with the point being made here, I'm going to confuse you any more, even more. No, ponder these thoughts. I told you last week, we, we went over like 15, 20 minutes. I told you I was going to get you out of here a little sooner. But we got, we're taking this very in, in smaller chunks. But let me leave you with some thoughts to ponder. See, Paul is contrasting the universal impacts of Adam and Jesus here. He knows there will be questions about how one man can affect the entire race. And he deals with Adam first. How we're all born in sin as a result of his disobedience. And we weren't there when he sinned. Yet we're all counted in that original sin. And we leave here thinking to ourselves, well, that's not fair. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. Nevertheless, that's how it is. It's just that way. But it's the same way on the other side. Listen, the contrast of that is in Christ, which we're going to look at next week. We have reached something that is ours when we were not even there as well. We weren't there. We weren't there when He died on the cross. Yet yeah, what does the Bible tells us, tell us in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. Well, I wasn't there. How is that fair that I get that? See the contrast? That's the point He's trying to make. Because these men and women were having difficulty thinking to themselves, how can this be given to me? And I don't deserve it. Doesn't that seem unfair that I can gain something that from Christ? But it's not fair that I gained it from Adam. So it's the same thing. That's the point he's trying to make. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, as a Christian, again, we were not there when Christ died. I was not literally crucified. But because I believe that stream of salvation is what? Given to me. I drank from the river of life. I drank from the river of death. It wasn't fair that I got all that. Is it fair that Christ died for me? No, but He did. And I can gain that salvation if I believe. You want to know that great part about this salvation? Death is imputed to me, but Christ was able to override that through His death. But listen to this. Now, in Christ, life is given to me eternally, and guess what? Nothing can override that. That's where He's going to get to in these verses. That's what we've begun to prepare our minds to when we get into this section That's the introduction. You're either in Christ or you're not. And today, if you're not, you have the opportunity to be just asking Him and just believing where you're at. That's all you need to do. And if you are in Christ, just know this. Once you've drank from that river, it can never be taken away. Oh, what a great salvation we have. Paul, so brilliant activated, this brilliant mind, activated with the Spirit of Christ. Amazing, this guy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for this time that you've given to us. And as we work through these truths, Lord, that are just beyond us, Father, I know they're beyond me, Lord. I pray that you help us, Father, on this path, Little by little, Lord, taking these little steps, Father, on this great path, Lord, to remember the joy that we have in you, that it can never be taken away once we have received it, Lord. We were born in sin, sinners. You overrode that through your death. And when we have you, we've been crucified with you. And now we have eternal life in you. We pray for those, Lord, who don't know you. It is our desire, it is our heart that they would accept you into their life, Lord, that they might have what we have. And Lord, help us to walk in this joy today, Lord, knowing, Father, where we are going to end up. What a blessing. We praise and thank you now. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Let's all stand and we'll have one more song.